Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're reading verses 6 to 9. Moses is restating the law which God has given to his people Israel, and he has these words to say to them. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The second reading today comes from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples and addressing the many anxieties that they feel. Matthew 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Well, friends, uh, good morning. Uh, Sermon three in our series on Jesus Brings. This week we're going to see Jesus Brings Wisdom to Parents. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, delve into such a difficult topic, so deeply personal, and uh, so emotional in so many ways, we ask that you'll give us eyes to see your word, your ways, uh, what we should do as parents to raise your children for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, uh, the Fairfax-owned media, uh, sorry, the Fairfax-owned website called Essential Kids, all right, it's linked to the Sydney Morning Herald, ran a story that started like this. Can I just say, uh, as a pastor looking for illustrations, every now and then God just gives you this start of a story through a Fairfax media outlet, which is just brilliant, okay? As a mother of three who rarely has any idea what I'm doing, I'm very loath to criticise the parenting style of others. There are numerous ways to bring up a healthy child, from homeschooling to non-schooling, Disciplinarian to free-range, strict to lenient, attachment to Dr Spock, technocentric to organic. There is no right way to parent and there is no wrong way to parent. Whatever works for each family is valid and appropriate. And into such a minefield do we all venture together today. Now, what the author of that article really helpfully shows us are the many and varied paths that people can take in the deeply personal very emotional and culturally influenced approaches that we take to parenting. And very often, whenever you hear someone speaking publicly or writing publicly on parenting, you'll hear the caveat that that journalist used to start the article, which goes like this. There is no right way to parent. There is no wrong way to parent. Whatever works for each family is valid and appropriate. Now, whether or not that statement is true... This is a hard topic to speak about. And people are very hesitant to ever suggest that someone could or should parent their children differently. The fact is, we would all love to be wiser in raising our kids, wouldn't we? We'd all love to be wiser. I mean, the, enormous, uh, the responsibility is enormous uh, that we feel. 
the potential for long-term flourishing on the one hand and damage on the other is, is all too real. Who here could feel up to the task? Almost every parent I've met carries a level of guilt about how we parent or how we have parented. We have competing models of parenting in our families, in our nuclear families, because mum and dad come from two very different backgrounds. You will know that comparisons abound in parenting. So it's very easy to look at others and think, I should do that and I don't, and feel despair. Or alternatively, you should do this and you don't, and feel self-righteousness. On top of all of that, Often within a family, a mum and a dad feel very different about their ability to parent the same kids. I remember a few years ago actually speaking to Bree about parenting, and we're actually talking about a parenting book. And I thought we were on the same page until halfway through the conversation, I realised that Bree was saying that she thought it would be just wonderful to read a book together on parenting. Whereas actually what I was saying was I thought it would be wonderful to write a book together (laughs) on parenting. I think at the time we had a two-year-old. That pretty much says all you need to know about Bree on the one hand and me on the other. Uh, Brothers and sisters, this is a a tricky topic. Uh, We're in our third week of our Jesus Brings series, and today we're going to see how Jesus brings wisdom to parents. And don't we need it? Uh, During the week, I emailed a number of families here at Norwest and asked them what were the things that they, what were the three things that they most longed for their kids? But what were the three things that they most desired their kids to grow into, uh, to become, to be? And it was remarkable how essentially all of these families, the eight families, pretty much said the same thing. Pretty much said the same thing. And here were the three things that we heard. Uh, they wanted, each family wanted to provide for their kids so that the kids were and felt secure, so this idea of security. Secondly, these families wanted to raise kids who had a very clear identity in who they were in this world, identity. And the third one was that they wanted their kids to be able to live full lives, live life to the full. My guess is those three things resonate with all of us. They're sort of universal, aren't they? You might tweak one here or there or add something here or there, but essentially they're pretty close to what we would all want for our kids. Here's the thing. They're all great things to want for your kids. But what we're going to see today is that there there are really wise ways to bring these things to your kids. And there's actually very foolish ways to bring these things to your kids as well. Let's start with the first, which is providing security. We all want our kids to be and feel secure, don't we? And this covers a whole range of things, uh, from mental and emotional health and stability, uh, through to providing for them physically, such as housing, food and schooling. Uh, We want our kids to feel secure within themselves. We, We want our kids to be robust, able to deal with a world around them that you know is at times very harsh. We want our kids to take hits and bounce back because we want them to be clear in who they are and what they stand for. We want our kids to be secure. And people will do all sorts of things to help their kids feel secure. Of course, the most obvious one is money. And families will work very hard to provide the financial resources so their children can have the upbringing that the parents never had or that the parents did have. But in any case, money is very often seen as the clearest way to ensure a family's security. The other very obvious way people do this is through education. Now, because we live in a very high, a highly educated society where high school education is essentially available to all and university education is available to many, it's difficult for us to see what education can become. 
But in the third world, or in countries with enormous populations, think China or India, education is absolutely about security. Education is about a way out of poverty. Education is about finally having a voice. Education is about raising, about raising yourself above others. And the way you determine the security of yourself, your own future and that of your family is by being educated. Now, have no doubt the same issue exists here. It's just much less obvious. Let me be crystal clear. Money and education, wonderful gifts from God. We should never reject either of them. We should, like all God's good gifts, receive them with thanksgiving and then use them for his glory. But there is a problem. You see, the very things that we'd love to build up to build a security for our kids actually aren't that secure. Money comes and money goes. And in a post-GFC climate, you don't really need to explain that. Education changes and highly educated people sometimes find themselves experts in fields that have become obsolete. Or life and health changes can sometimes mean that people are not able to use their education the way they would have hoped to make them secure. You know, in Matthew 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are about to go out on a dangerous journey. And they're nervous. And so Jesus speaks to them about it. And this is what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Friends, Jesus here is speaking about two cent birds. See what he's saying? Jesus is saying, God knows when every two-cent bird falls from the sky to the ground. God knows that. That is the level of interest God has in this world of his. So don't you worry. God knows you better than you know yourself, and you are very valuable. Do you see what Jesus brings here? He brings the very security that you would long to give to your kids, the ability to be there for them, to support them, to stand with them and help them, but you can't. You actually can't give it to your kids in the way you really want to, but he can, and better than you ever thought. Because Jesus will bring your kids what you most want them to have, but you can never give them. And that is this. It is a deep sense that all is secure, completely independent of circumstance. See, the best you can do as a parent, the best I can do, is make your kids feel somewhat secure, and that is completely dependent on circumstance. You can give your kids a piece that makes sense because of circumstance. Jesus can bring a peace that transcends understanding. I want to very briefly let you know uh, two things that I think will help your kids feel greatly secure. Both of them countercultural. Uh, and I think wise parents will want to do both of these things. Here's the first let your children know they are sinners but that they are still deeply loved. Let your children know that they are sinners, but that they are still deeply loved. See, that will set your children up to understand the gospel. That will help break that link that is seared in every human mind, that when you are good, you are loved, and when you are bad, you are not. You will show them the gospel. That is, even when they sin, they are still deeply loved. Let your children know they are sinners, that we all are, and that's why Jesus came. Tell them in the same breath as you tell them that they're sinners, that that is okay because Christ has died for their sin. Whatever you do, do not assume your children are not sinners. That they make little mistakes, that it's not a big deal. (laughs) Do not mitigate, do not justify, do not dilute. 
you will teach them to do that forever. Tell them there is sin in their heart, but that Jesus has taken care of it. Now, I know maybe most of the room are sitting there thinking that you're going to crush your children's self-esteem. <laughs> the opposite is true. I mean, it is for you, right? Knowing that you are a deeply loved sinner doesn't crush you. It frees you. And so it will for them. How are you to do this? Well, here's one way Bree and I try to do this. Every time we discipline our girls, which having written this sermon earlier in the week, every time I've disciplined them this week, it's just come before me. And it's been quite a bit that we discipline them, actually. Uh, but every time we discipline our girls, we tell them at the end how much we love them. Discipline in our family always ends in a hug, which isn't easy. And sometimes you just want to squeeze the life out. You know, you know it's, it's, it's not the right sort of hug. And I know that this will look different as our kids get older and it's not appropriate to hug them because they're six and four and two and six weeks, seven weeks. Uh, but as our kids are disciplined, as we tell them that the wrong they have done is because of sin and yet as we show them this unconditional love, they feel secure. Freed to stuff up. But, God's, but mum and dad's love isn't going anywhere and that is going to make a whole lot of sense to them one day when they learn more and more about Jesus. Now, there's a second way you can help your kids feel secure, and it's what I've called do not, do not subscribe to open parenting. I don't know if open parenting exists. If you Google it, it probably does. I'm not talking about whatever is out there. I, I made this up. So um, if, you've, if you've ever heard of open parenting, you think this would be interesting. It, it could well be. I, here's what I'm calling open parenting. See, here's the lie we get sold. It goes a bit like this. Uh, I don't want to restrict my child's development, and so I'll let my children make their own mind up about church or Jesus, or sexuality, or money, or friends, or boyfriends, or girlfriends, or, or whatever. And can I just say, there is a great temptation to do this. Because we so easily get caught up in the values of this world. And uh, we think to ourselves, look, we don't want to put our kids off church. We don't want them to resent going to youth group or, or, or coming along in the morning. This point takes great courage and great wisdom, both at once. But here's the thing. We think what we're doing is providing a freedom for our kids to work out who they are and where they go. But we aren't. What we're doing is we're teaching them uh, that all paths are valid, which actually owes much more to secular liberalism than biblical Christianity. Brothers and sisters, be wise parents. Obey what the Bible says in Proverbs 22. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You, You believe that? Deuteronomy 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise. I stopped it there. It kept going. Or in Ephesians 6, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, I I think the reason I don't do this as much as I should, the reason we struggle with this is because we are either fearful, disobedient, or weak. But here's the thing. You will not help your child. You will fail them. Your child needs you. God has given you to your child to show them the best way in life. Not every way in life, the best way in life. Be a parent and teach them. And a special word to fathers on Mother's Day. (laughs) Dads, step up. It's hard, it's easy for some personality than others, but step up. You need to make a choice to do this. Be men who lead your families. 
Show your sons and daughters what it is to lead your family in Christ. Show them, is, show them what it is to, to speak gently to your wife. Show them what it is to sacrificially lay down your life for your family. Speak to your children about what marriage and sex and girlfriends and boyfriends are all about. And in so doing, you'll be providing them with a security that will last them forever. It's easier for some to do this than others. I know this comes easier to me than others. But if you do not speak into this space, someone else will. Be wise, not foolish. Well, the second thing that came up in my sample as I emailed families from church about what they longed most for their kids was to do with the whole area of identity. See, one of the things we really want for our kids, don't we, is we want them to know who they are. Again, a wonderful thing for us to want for our kids. Identity is so important to us as people, knowing who we are and where we fit into this world. And so this desire for us, for our kids to develop their own identity, is absolutely rightly placed. But let me describe a particular scenario that I think plays out in almost every family. Here's what happens. A child starts to show particular giftedness in a particular area. And what we do as parents, and probably rightly so, is we encourage them and we invest in that area and we throw resources and time at that thing they're good at. And then what almost always happens for our children is that they start to see themselves as that thing, as that soccer star as the best in maths at their school, as the brilliant guitarist, as the wonderful actor or person who's great at drama. Now, again, please don't mishear me. God has gifted us all in different ways, and God has made some of us much better at some things than others, which is wonderful. But the great danger here is that your child starts to see themselves, starts to link their very identity, their personhood, and ultimately their worth as a person with the activity. And, of course... No activity lasts forever. Sports stars retire. I need to then make a comeback because I don't know who they are. I need to retire then to make another cut. People with sparking intellect lose their edge. Musicians are favoured for a time until the bright new thing and the same with actors. You know, to live a life knowing that you're only as good as your last goal, your last song, your last play, your last formula, your last essay, your last sermon, that is an awful way to live. Jesus brings wisdom to parents and Jesus brings a better way because what Jesus brings to your kids will give them an understanding that their value as a person is not found in their competency. They will come to see that who they are is actually found in something much deeper than their abilities on the one hand or their inabilities or disabilities on the other. And I know that what I'm about to say here is almost going to sound neglectful, but here we go. (laughs) Wise parents will tell their kids that they are not good at some things. Wise parents will tell their kids that they are not good at some things. Uh, But that doesn't matter at all, is the next breath. You see, I'm not talking about being discouraging here, but actually deeply encouraging, speaking the truth in love to your children at the age that your child is at and is appropriate to that. You've all seen American Idol, right? That show that comes on, American, on an idol. Uh, And every now and then in a series, what they do get together is they get this compilation and it's like they put together a 45-minute show of all the people who are just so bad. Okay, you seen this? Now you're laughing. Okay, that's bad. You shouldn't watch this. All right? <laughs> but we do. Okay? So we get these people who come on and, and, and before this international TV audience make an absolute fool of themselves, right? Now, can I say, these shows uh, reveal uh, quite a few things. Firstly, my dark heart for finding them funny in the first place. <laughs> but more importantly, what these shows reveal 
is a failure in, in many of these instances of someone in these people's lives having a spine to actually say to them, you know what, you are good at a whole range of things. I'm just not sure singing's one of them. <laughs> you see, what makes our children develop a very clear identity is knowing that who they are is not primarily defined by what they do or don't do or, what, or, the, or, or by what they excel in or fail at, but actually by the very fact that Jesus has made them his children. Because here's the thing. If your children know that Jesus owns them, what that does is that frees them up to explore who they are. They become free to flourish and succeed in parts of life without that success being a burden that they must continue to live up to. But they also become free, on the other hand, to spectacularly fail in parts of life without that thing being, a, uh, without that thing being something that cripples them and who they think they are. See, if you get your identity in from Jesus, success on the one hand, failure on the other, are, are able to be seen in the right light. What is this identity? Well, again, Jesus brings it. Start of John's Gospel, John is describing what it means to belong to Jesus. He says this, Yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who belong to God are his children. Jesus brings that. What does that look like? Well, the Apostle Paul describes it. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. See, what the Holy Spirit of God will give to your children is both the ability and the desire to call out to God. Not God, the cold, hard, disinterested one who watches from above, but to see those last two words, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, that is the Aramaic language there, the language Jesus spoke, for the deeply personal, intimate, affectionate word for dad used in a family home. See, when your children find Jesus, they find dad. And they find what you would most long to give to them, but you actually can't. They find a clear identity of who they are in this world. But what he brings is so much better than what we think will help. Because the identity he gives to them, the fact that they are his children, can never be taken away. One more thing that we want our kids to have, and this was the third thing that was said in the responses from those families, is we want our kids to have a full experience of all that life has to offer, life to the full. Well, all the good stuff in any case. We want our kids to experience what we do. We want them to travel and do sports and all sorts of stuff. Again, right and proper. God has made a world that is very good. We are to enjoy this world, love it, and celebrate in such a, a wonderful work of creation. But of course, there is a dark side to this, isn't there? Whereas parents, we start to believe that our kids need to do everything, feel everything, see everything, experience everything, to have really lived and if you were to ask the average parent at the school that your kids go to, what, what do they mean? What, what, sorry, what does the expression living life to the full mean to them? What do you think they'd say? I reckon they'd say oh, living life to the full is squeezing every last drop out of life. And, and we feel like we'd be negligent to stand in the way of our kids experiencing something. Now, of course, this raises all sorts of challenges for people who have special needs children, doesn't it? It gets a bit awkward. When their children will never be able to experience what yours can See, what does it look like for a family with a child with cerebral palsy to live life to the full? It starts to get a little uncomfortable. The desire for our kids to live life to the full is well-placed. In fact, it's biblical, God-given. It's just that Jesus brings a very different view as to what that exactly is. So in John 10, Jesus finds himself in a debate with the Pharisees about how people can get to God. They're the religious rules of the day. How is it people get to God? Uh, Pharisees think one thing. Jesus is saying something else. He's actually saying, I'm the way. I'm the shepherd. 
I'm the gate. You know me, you get to God. This is what Jesus says. I have come that people may have life and have it to the full. That thing we want for our kids, life to the full. Jesus says it, right? But here's the thing. What does Jesus mean by it? He can't be talking about experiencing everything in this world. He can't be talking about this mere hedonism, this pleasure-seeking, which actually doesn't work, as we saw last week, but just this absor- absorption of you know, this, this bucket list for your kids or something. No, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about that because Jesus didn't experience everything and he knew that he'd die within 12 months. He can't be talking about that. He actually gives us the answer a few verses on in verse 28. This is what he says. Jesus says, he's just called himself a shepherd, my sheep, my people, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Brothers and sisters, what is life to the full? Life to the full is life forever. See, life to the full is not maximising experiences here and now, but it's full life because it's life beyond this life. It's life to the full because this life's temporary. It's the life that God always planned for his people, life with him for eternity. But more than that, see, wise parents love sharing experiences with their kids, right? But wise parents will set every experience in the context of life together with Jesus. And that is why a special needs family member can experience life to the full. Because whatever the experience is that they can experience, no matter their ability or disability, if it is shared in the context of life with God, who we live with forever, then it's life to the full. Let me finish by talking about how you can develop this in your kids. One way, just one way that you can help develop this in your kids. Don Carson is one of the world's leading theological scholars. Uh, He's written and edited uh, 57 books. He's the research professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois in the States. He's made a profession out of education and out of teaching people the Bible. And uh, the quote I'm about to put up is him reflecting back on his years of teaching. This is what he says. If I've learned anything in 35 or 40 years of teaching, it is that students don't learn everything I teach them. What they learn, listen to this, what they learn is what I'm excited about. The kinds of things I emphasise again and again and again and again. That had better be the gospel. Make sure in your own practice and excitement, what you talk about, what you think about, what you pray over, what you exude confidence over, joy over, what you are enthusiastic about is Jesus, the gospel, the cross. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Even if you are a committed Christian family, if the thing in your home and house, your family life that you are most excited about is your next holiday, or your kids' sporting success, or those good grades, that dance instead for that pony club, those French lessons, swimming lessons, cooking lessons, on and on and on. No matter what you say about Jesus, if around those other things your family thinks and acts and moves and relates, you are within half a generation of losing the gospel from your family. Even if you say to your kids that Jesus is the most important thing and you come here each Sunday, it does not matter. Your actions give it all away. You want your kids to know life to the full? (laughs) Get excited about life forever with Jesus. Show your kids what life with Jesus is like. And then all of those things we put up, all those sporting success, good grades, dance sessions, pony clubs, French lessons, swimming lessons, cooking lessons, all of those things, you love them. You'll, You'll love them. They're put in the right place. Not first things, but secondary things. Not the most important things, but important things. Gifts from God. 
to his children. Uh, there will be people here whose child-raising years are behind them. And you may well carry guilt and regret for things you did or did not do. Uh, Please don't feel like you're out of place here this morning. You're just older than us and will be where you are in time. Here's the thing you need to know, every parent in the room. We are not to feel crushed by our past, nor guilty about what we could do or or could have done better. For our God has always been the God who brings his purposes out of the seemingly very messy. And no matter where you are up to with your children here today, whether uh, they are very young or they are old, you are still parents. Parents who can pray. Parents who can model. Parents who can encourage and comfort and urge your children to live lives worthy of God. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us all to do in 1 Thessalonians. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Jesus brings wisdom to parents. Our Heavenly Father, we know that it is a task beyond us to raise the next generation of people who will sing your praises. And in so many ways, we are not up for it. We don't feel equipped. Our brokenness seems to come to the surface within the relationships of our family. We see our own habits from when we were raised that we hate and yet we do. Father, we ask this morning that you'll go before us in our parenting that you will fill the gap between what we would love to be able to be and what we can't be. That in everything, in our frailty and humanity and brokenness in our own homes, in our joys and celebrations and love in our own homes, that Christ might be centre of all. Help us help our kids see your son. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.